This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's another episode of the Forever Mighty Postscape Show. Patrick and Eddie on the mics tonight. Eddie, goalie interference, not goalie interference... Do we know what's going on, man? I, <laughs> Do we riot or know. what? Was it close? Um, Did it happen? Was it really the focal point of this game, or was it just a couple bad bounces? And the Ducks oh, probably you know should have made better of their power play. I mean, I just think juggling it's a ideas here. This game, right? Like it's uh, it essentially led to two goals. Like the obviously the goal that counted, and then the fact that you get a penalty now for a bad coach's challenge, which I think is a good rule to have except in, in these odd scenarios like this, where it was probably goaltender interference was borderline. Like the, con- the, the rule that the, the reason that the NHL said it wasn't a goal is because contact, initial contact, was outside the crease. You, debatable. May, maybe, maybe that's correct. Like it was at the edge of the crease. It's debatable. <clears throat> the problem for me is, is contact continues into the crease, and it, it clearly stops Miller from making that push over like he he's set to push off his right skate to make a, a big push or a dive over to stop that shot from Zuccarell maybe he makes it maybe he doesn't but the fact of the matter is Galchenyuk comes in sweeps his foot out and he, he has no attempt or no ability to make that play anymore which if you're that close and, it, and you're you're wondering if it's you know, just on the edge of the crease or outside of you I think you have to call that goalie interference that's, because like then you get tough. a power play that's and tough. Kevin Fiatta wires home a power play goal. Of course he did. He was the player of the game for the Minnesota Wild tonight as the Ducks fall. Player of the month for the yeah, NHL. Yeah. In overtime, 4-3 to three to the Minnesota Wild. Was it 4-3 to three or 5-4? Five 5-4. To four? Five, to four. 5 to 4 That's right. That's right. 5-4 to four to the Minnesota Wild. Like, I didn't just watch the whole game. Um, <laughs> tough one, man. That's a tough loss. But, I mean, is it really, though? It was fun. It was a good game. It was competitive. It was fun game. Yeah. Ducks were involved. Physical. Got a little nasty. Was kind of hoping the nasty would spill over to the third, but it didn't really. Um, it's still fun, man. I, it's good to see the boys uh, competing the way they are. And uh, I don't know. I, I hope we see more of this sort of effort and these types of games down the stretch because uh, we know this season's a gone one, but um, it's it's definitely fun. Yeah. No, I, you, you need these exciting games. And, and I know people are – are kind of on the you know the um, the tank nation train right now to to so kind is of Bob Murray. <clears throat> well, and, and I can understand it, right? Like I can, 
I can get behind it in in terms of wanting you know to get a higher pick and and you look at some of the the players in the top half of this draft and you know we'll get into to Murray's comments a bit later, but uh, you know he mentioned he wants a shooter in this draft and and you look at some of the guys at the top like Holtz and Perfetti and and Stutzel. Uh, those all could be top five picks. And if you keep winning games and keep picking up points, you know, you know, Ducks picked up three or four points in these last two games and they beat two teams fighting for playoff spots or one team fighting for a playoff spot and, and snatched a point away from another. Um, you know, you're you're going to start moving up the standings, especially when L.A. keeps losing and San Jose keeps losing and Ottawa and, and in New Jersey and Detroit when they lose games and, and you pick up points over them. You know, you're going to start falling down just like the Ducks did last year where – we thought they were going to get a top five pick and then they fell down to eighth and then the lottery came. And because of that, they dropped down to ninth and, you know, nobody's complaining now because they got Trevor Zegras, but <laughs> you know, the, the best, the, the best chances the Ducks can put themselves in to get a high draft pick, the better. But when the game is exciting as this, like it, it's hard to complain. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, there, yeah, like you just said, when is this exciting? It's kind of like, you don't really want this team to win. You want the high draft pick, but you want to see these types of games. Like I talked to season yeah. ticket holders yesterday, and they were saying the same thing. Like we don't care that season's lost. We get it. Can't win forever. But I only get frustrated when I see the boys not compete. You know, it's it's more fun yeah. when your team's involved when you're paying seventeen dollars for a beer. Jesus Christ, Honda Center. Um, <laughs> it's nice to see some sort like of twenty four Canadian <laughs> dude. Yeah, it's like whenever yeah. I get free tickets, I love and appreciate the hell out of that. I love going to games, but I'm like, I, I know I can't not spend money here. I'm going to spend. $100. Well, then you buy an extra beer because you went for free. <laughs> yeah, and then you really didn't go for free. And then I don't. Then I don't park ticket. at Noble for free. I park at Honda Center because I yeah. got free tickets. So I'm going to park yeah. close. I spent twenty bucks in there. In the yeah. end. I'm a moron. You normally yeah. would have spent a hundred dollars or ninety dollars on the game with the ticket included. Yeah, you end up spending that extra money on parking and <laughs> so beer, it's all food, the same. or whatever. It ends so up being <laughs> all the same. It's just oh, the well. way it is. Well, hey man, let's get into the starting lineup, and so we can get started on this game. Um, Manson's back. That was a good thing mm-hmm. tonight. That was a welcome sight in uh, the defensive core because word on the street is no more Lindy the rest of the season, most likely. It's kind of what we're looking at. We can get to that in a bit. But Milano, Getzloff, Heinen, Raquel, Henrik, Silverberg, Jones, Steele, and Sherwood, Delorier, Bacchus. I still don't understand it. And uh, Carter Rowney. So, uh, you don't say what? Bacchus being in? Or the trade? Dude. <laughs> We could get to that when I get to when we get to the questions. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. We, and, we, and then we, Jones, we were Jones back in too because Jones yeah. got scratched in the game against, uh, which Please. also made no sense because Agazino played in his spot. Mm. Um, I, I get I get wanting to give Agazino reps and he hasn't been bad, but no. so far Steele has been scratched for Agazino for one game and then Jones has been scratched for Agazino in another game. Which, I mean, you know, Dallas Akins loves to rotate the roster and get players in and doesn't want them sitting that long, so I get it. But, uh, yeah, but Jones was playing well. That, that's the thing. Like, mm-hmm. when Steele got scratched, he probably deserved it. But Jones played well in, in the games before the game against Toronto, and he played well tonight, too. And they're forming a pretty nice line with Steele and Sherwood. So that was a bit surprising for, for Jones to sit out in the game against Toronto. Obviously didn't hurt the Ducks, but... Uh, nice, nice to see him back in because I thought he had a pretty good game today. I thought yeah. I thought he played well. A lot of hustle in his game. Let's get to that and more. But first, Ed, let's talk about our sponsor, Bet Online. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bet Online has a promo right now for us where we can get fifty dollars where we can uh, put down free money. 
put down our own bets, and I was uh, a little wary of getting involved in sports betting after I spent <laughs> the entire night stressing over fantasy hockey. Uh, so I was a bit a bit wary to get involved, but uh, it is March, and we're only weeks away uh, from the big tournament, from the March Madness tournament that uh, gets everybody involved in sports betting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so make sure to head to Bet Online if you are going to bet on that. Open an account, and you can get on in on their one hundred thousand dollar. Uh, bracket madness contest starting March 15th. That's right. I said a hundred thousand dollars in March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get on in on the action and with multiple entries available. It's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember the NBA XFL and of course the NHL are still going strong. So whatever your passion is, bet online is the place to be for all your betting needs. I was going to bet on who won the face-off between the Vancouver Canucks and Columbus Blue Jackets tonight, but I, I quickly said no. Uh, I can't do that because, man, I, I didn't want to watch that game to begin with, but I can't bet, you know, $50 on if Bo Horvat's going to beat you know, Alexander Wenberg in a face-off. So I said no to that. Uh, but visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online to take advantage of their best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word for your 50% sign-up bonus. Bet Online, your sports book experts. All right, man, let's talk about that lease game. That was a bit of a, I don't know, it was like a grinding game for Anaheim, I felt like. And if they got plenty of chances, I feel like that score was a little closer than what it should have been. Do you not disagree? Or do you agree, do not agree, rather? I mean, the, Campbell, the Campbell played out Toronto? of his mind. Yes. Yeah. Gotta get to that least yeah, game because we missed that post game. Yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely think it was a lot closer than it should have been. I mean, Gibson played well, too, to be yeah. fair, but... Jack Campbell made three or four highlight reel saves on that one. He had a, a kind of a diving across glove save. He had a, a deflection shot in front of the net that he got a piece of. Uh, there was one save he made that was just uh, ridiculous. I know he stopped Getzloff when he oh, with a glove yeah. save while Lucky. he was falling. Lucky. Uh, and there was a there was another one he made too. So it was four saves that he made in that game that all made it into the highlight reel package at the end of the night because he was just unstoppable and. You know, the Leafs right now are struggling. They were on a three-game win streak. They came into California, and they didn't pick up a single point against the Sharks, Kings, or Ducks. Uh, and, and usually it's Freddie who has these types of nights, but he's been struggling all year. He actually had a good game against the Kings, but then you have Jack Campbell who, uh, you know, played the Ducks a few times while he was in L.A., comes in and, and has a great night. But it's one of those games that you don't expect the Ducks to be able to grind out, especially against an offensive juggernaut like the Toronto yeah. Maple Leafs. Uh, but they they were able to stick uh, stick to it, and, and you know John Gibson had a, a strong game, but you know Carter Rounding and, and Adam Henry get the goals, and, and you pick up two points against a playoff team. It is uh, a surprising turn of events for the Ducks, pretty much since the trade deadline, where they've been able to knock off or pick up points from these teams that should be fighting for their lives at this point in the season, and, and the Ducks are sticking with them. How did you feel about uh, you know the Ducks can't stop getting injured? But John Gibson leaves the game with injury here. Not, that's just of another, course. like, come on. Yeah, and, and it's one of those injuries you never like to see for an athletic goaltender. He has a groin injury, which you know we all know, you know Jonathan Quick's past. I know mm-hmm. John Gibson isn't as athletic as, as a goaltender like Jonathan Quick or like a Sergei Bobrovsky, but he does tend to be, I guess, oh, above wait, wait. average. No, no, hold on. I wish Jason was here saying this because I'd be like, dude, he is just as athletic, better positioning than those two guys. Yes. Those yeah, guys and, are and, so and, far out doing this crazy crap, yeah. 
like flinging their legs, their pads, everything, just doing all this stuff. And they're like 15 feet outside the paint and then have to come back and try to make some acrobatic save. Like, I think that's more what I mean. It, okay, is, good. I'll yeah, he's not mind. flailing about. He's not. He's better positionally, so he doesn't have to make those saves. So he's not, you know, making these ridiculous split saves that Jonathan Quick is. And then Jonathan Quick has like three groin injuries a season. But it is concerning, right, for a goaltender because that is something that you can can become a problem. Uh, the more Absolutely. you injure it and re-injure it, the, the more likely you are to injure it again. So I think they need to take their time with him here. The Ducks aren't in a position where they need to have him back right now. They're you know they're not looking to win games. And even Bob Murray admitted that at the hot stove, yep. where he said, you know, I'm not really looking to win games right now. If they win games, great. But you know, obviously a high draft pick is a priority for the Ducks here. But you know, John Gibson should just take his time. Of course, he wants to play. He always wants to play. But the Ducks have no need to rush him back. You know, Ryan Miller can hold the crease for a bit. If Anthony Stolarz has to get in for a, the back-to-back next week, then yeah, he will. you know, play him. Then, then you have to. You know, I, I don't think John Gibson's going to be back next week. I think they're going to take their time and treat this as a week-to-week thing and make sure he's 100%. Well, let's wrap up this Leafs game. The Ducks won 2-1. to one, But let's get to this, like, maybe the most surprising part of this is uh, Juice... And and Hawk and Pop. Juice and Hawk and Pop. The shutdown line against Austin Matthews. (laughs) Who would have thought? Very interesting. Destroyed Austin Matthews in this game. He did not have that many opportunities uh, to to really get anything going. And I mean, Christian Juice has been impressive since being acquired from the Ducks. And obviously, we'll get into tonight. He has a game tying goal and and was uh, probably the Ducks' best defenseman tonight, Josh Manson included. But. Yanni Hackenpah has come into his own. He's been reliable. Like he's been a decent player. He, he hasn't. He hasn't had made too many mistakes. He's he's been a reliable guy. He plays the body. He plays physical. He brings as much to the Ducks as Kerbinian Holzer did, or Michael Delzato does. Right? Like he he's not like he's really hurting the team. No. So I you know I and I don't mind it. I mean we brought him in this year to be a five or a six. That's what he was brought in for, and he, he struggled and got sent down to San Diego, and now with the injuries, he's being given another chance, whether that earns him a contract or not, because he is a UFA at the end of uh, the end of this year. I, I don't know, but uh, it is nice to see him at least get a chance and playing well and, and forming the most unlikely shutdown pairing with Christian Juice. To his credit, too, I mean, he played a lot of years on big ice, right? And that was mentioned mm-hmm. in the broadcast today. Hawk and Paul played a lot of years on international ice. And that's a tough game to switch from that to this, uh, and, you know, and then to go. It's just I, I imagine it's not comfortable. You have to get well, used and, to a and different it's style. different. North American hockey is just different. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and it's, but it's different from most Euros to his path because he got drafted by the Blues. He played four years in the AHL, so he came from Europe, had to adjust to the North American game. Probably just finished adjusting after three or four years, and then didn't make it and went back to Europe. Mm-hmm. And had to adjust back to the European game, and then now he's back in the NHL and the AHL, and he's got to adjust to it again. Like that is a hard thing to do to keep flipping back and forth like that, uh, and and having you know four, five, six years in between playing in either uh, in either uh, different ice surfaces. So for him, I guess to finally be adjusting here and getting used to it, I think obviously playing in the NHL is a lot more beneficial to him adjusting than it is in the AHL because it's a different style of game. Uh, and and you know we we judged him heavily on oh. preseason play, which is tough. We, yeah, you know preseason is yeah. a whole different animal, and you know he struggled a bit down in San Diego, but he started to find his feet. I think that's why he finally got 
to make that NHL debut coupled with the Ducks injuries. And, you know, all you can ask from this guy is to come in and, and play solid. And he's not going to put points up. He, he's not going to be a flashy player. But you just need him to be a solid presence on the blue line. And I think he's done that. Let's get to the first period of tonight's game then, right? Because we can could, we could talk more about Hawk and Pot too because he did play today. Um, and I felt like he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't a detriment to anyone on the ice. I felt like he played a, a decent game. Um, in fact, he broke up a 2-1-1 right away at the beginning of the opening period. So he's immediately evolved in the play. I, I felt like the opening period was a weird one for Anaheim. Do you agree? Like, it just, it seemed like they took him a bit to get their legs. And that's like a, oh, a cliche yeah. hockey term. It took him a bit <laughs> to get their legs. It took him six minutes to get a shot. So yes. it took him, took him a bit to get going. I mean, the Wild only had three shots mm-hmm. six minutes into the game, too. So it took both teams. But they just played last night, too, right, against L.A.? Yeah. And they got yeah, smoked. yeah, and and maybe that's saving some energy and and trying to kind of hang on later in this game. You know, th- there's two different approaches I think from teams playing on a back to back. Some teams just come out firing and try and waste all their energy in the first and second period and put themselves in a good position to hold on for the third. And then there's some teams like what the Wild did tonight, where they play really reserved in that first period to save some energy and and build up for a stronger push and, and have more energy for the second and third. It felt like that's the approach the Wild were going for, and it felt like the Ducks were comfortable letting them do that and letting them just kind of feel things out and, and take their time. And, and you know, the Ducks generally aren't a team that gets off hot to start games. So I, I think that that's fairly comfortable when it comes, you know, comparing their style of play. I love how every season is different for us. Like, Ducks aren't really good at opening period. And I remember for a couple, you know, a couple seasons or a season and a half, it's like, Terrible second period. Anaheim's always bad in the second it's like period. Three years. Yeah. They'll be the comeback kids in the third period and come take the lead back. It's just so funny how how this when this roster it just just changes to where you know mm-hmm. you hardly recognize numbers on the ice at this point, and it's like the, the way they play is different. It just it's just awesome yeah. at the same time because it's something fun and new to talk about. But I just love how it's so true. The opening period for Anaheim is always kind of like okay. Um, are they getting shots? And sometimes when they are, you're like, well, they're not really high quality, so I don't know what we're doing here. But as of late, Ed, I don't know if you saw this, but there were some analytics guys, and then uh, everyone you know who doesn't like analytics, go ahead and put your tinfoil hat on and pretend it's not important. But um, they were showing that the Ducks are actually getting a lot of high-danger chances, just not getting all the goals. And that's yeah, They shouldn't have a finish. That, that's that, good. You know, that's been a problem. The quality and, and of chances have, have been really high for Anaheim. We'll touch on Bob Murray's comments probably four or five times before we even get to them from the hot yeah, stove today. Pretty real, pretty, One pretty of the things relevant. he mentioned and why he was looking for a shooter in the draft, he literally came out and said that nobody on this team can can score off a one timer, nope. which I don't think he's wrong about. I you know I don't I don't think the Ducks have had a, a, a guy who could score off the one timer probably in about four or five years, if not longer than that. They really haven't had a a shooting threat on a one timer, even really just a dangerous shot since Corey Perry when Corey Perry was, you know, in his heyday. They really haven't had that guy. And, you know, that that makes sense that they, they have the skill to generate these high danger chances. They just don't have the guys to finish it. And then right. Ricard Raquel's not at that level like he used to be in terms of being a lethal finisher. Never really was a one time or, or you know lethal shot type of guy. He usually just created chances with his skill. But, you know, I, I I can't uh, I can't deny that I mean like you can see the chances are coming especially mm-hmm. over the last little stretch here the Ducks are getting some quality chances just the deadline and whether really. it be yeah and whether it be 
know, goaltenders like in the game against Toronto where Jack Campbell's is kind of standing on his head or whether it be just the Ducks don't have a great finishing ability. I think it's a combination of both. You know, that's why you see them where they're at, where they're, they're, they're probably in top five when it comes to high danger chances, but near the bottom when it comes to actually converting those chances. Well, let's run through this first period then, too. We got a, we got a lot to get to tonight. Um, very nice to see Ricard, Raquel, and Jacob Silverberg teaming up to get the games for his goal. What a pretty shot and a nice chip pass by Rax to get it to Silverberg. And he just rifles that one home. It was his first in 10 games. And yep. what, Rax just ended his his drought a couple of games ago. 17-game streak for Raquel. Um, Very uh, nice. Games ago, yeah. So nice to see Sylvie get on the board. But again, like we just talked about, no one-timers for these guys. But you watch the way they play in their careers. It's all off the rush. It's all wristers. It's snapshots. Like That's just what yep. these guys are built on. Yeah, well, you look at both of Silverberg's goals tonight. They were snapshots low, uh, just kind of right under the the blocker for on Dubnik uh, and, and Ricardo Cal the other night. I mean, that was a deflection goal, but it, you know, made off the rush, right? So mm-hmm. that's where where these guys bread and butter it is, and it's nice to see them back together, and not only back together with with Adam Henrique, but playing well. You know, Adam Henrique scored the goal against uh, Toronto that ended up being the, the game winner in that game. And he's got 25 on the year. Silverberg finally hit 20 tonight with his two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ricard Raquel, I'm not sure if he'll, if he'll hit 20, but at least three assists tonight is, is a nice you know run from him. And it's nice to see these guys getting that chemistry back because the Ducks need it. I mean, you know, they don't need it for a playoff push or anything this year. But we mentioned on the last podcast that Ricard Raquel and Silverberg need to get going to finish the year here to kind of end with some confidence that they can continue this into next year. And it yep. obviously is a long time between the off season and the beginning of next year's season, but they need to end strong here. They need to finish with some confidence, know that, you know, the, the, the ability that they showed in the past is still there and then they can get things going. You know, as for Silverberg, I'm not surprised. He's a streaky goal scorer. This is going to happen. He could get hot here. And, and put you know six up in the next seven or eight games here like that's not surprising that's the way no. he was playing earlier this year and then you know for the remaining 10 games he could go cold it, it, it's just the way you know he's kind of always been but it would be nice to see him maybe scratch the surface on getting to 30 this year it's, it's a long way to go he's got what how many games are left 13 games oh, left after tonight so and he's got to get 10 <laughs> 10 goals in 13 games that is at you know, Kevin Fiala type numbers, the way Kevin Fiala has been playing, you have to get really hot. You have to be one of the top goal scorers in the league to be, uh, to be able to hit that uh, 30 mark over the next 13 games. Well, we already kind of touched on the goaltender interference on Zuccarello's goal. Um, if this is not Anaheim, let's say the role's reversed here and this is Dubnik, are you really calling that goaltender interference? Or are you kind of like, oh, it was on the line, you know, tie goes to runner. Oh, you mean like if I wasn't a Ducks fan? Correct. Would I be calling this? Put this in a vacuum. If you're really looking at that, it's damn yeah, close, dude. I think it could have gone either way. Yeah, I could see it. I think if, if it was the other way around, and obviously I wanted it to be a Ducks goal, there, there's probably a part of me that argues that it is outside, and that's the definition but, of the rule. And- but the league also said the ruling on the ice, you just turn it over, has to be definitive and mm. quick. And they they don't want to take goals off the board like that's been yep. said by the league. But it was called goal on the ice, was it not? That's I think what I'm it saying. was. It was a goal yeah. on the ice. Call on the ice. So yeah, yeah. It's it's got to be like I I don't necessarily disagree with the call the way the rules are. It was it was goal call call on the ice was goal. 
the initial contact is technically outside the crease or on the edge of the crease. So if you're going by the rules, then, yeah, it's a goal that should be overturned or, or shouldn't be changed over. You know, it shouldn't be changed over to no goal. It, it, it should be, you know, ruling on the ice was goal, so it's a goal, we not conclusive, initial contact outside the crease. Was that Manson that was guarding that. Zuccarello? Um, I think so, yeah. yeah it, the gap the gap there was a bit wide. I felt like if yeah. you're going to start to look at that goal, kind of a little bit of a misread. He gave a little bit too much room to Zuccarello. Uh, to let a guy get a shot off block and get the rebound and still get a shot on net again that goes in. I know things happen, and I know it's a fast game. And, you know, Manson. That's first game back for him. Exactly. It's been tough for him uh, this season. So I think he was just caught off guard a bit, gave too much room to Zooks. And then the unfortunate play where uh, Parisi escaped, just clips Miller and takes him out of the play. is just yeah. kind of how this it's, game went it's for borderline. Anaheim, honestly. Kind of how it went. Yeah, like, Bowed it, it's, a, it's a borderline call. I, I, I think, it, you know, I have to say it was the right call because, you know, take bias out of it, the ruling and the way that the rules are written, that's the right call, and that's the right yep. call that should be made in, in, in situations like that. I, I do think, though, there is something to say in the future whether they review um, how this call is made, is that there is contact that continues into the crease and it still impedes that's, Ryan that's, Miller's uh, ability at that's all iffy. to make that play. Like he's going to push off. At that point, his, skates get, his skate gets hooked under the pad. I'm going to give Parise the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. I, I just think he's going to push off that that skate to make that attempt to make the save, and he's not yeah. able to do that because the contact continues into the crease and takes his skate out from underneath him, and he can't do it. Um, again, I'm not going to – I can't argue with the call that was made. I just think in the future if they're going to kind of decide these plays that maybe there should be some consideration that the contact continues in, especially when it's that close. Well, the like bummer out the of there. all of this is this was a two-for-one. That yeah. goal counts. Review happens because the Ducks challenged. Goes to uh, the referees in Toronto, gets reviewed, doesn't get overturned, call on the ice stands, ducks, then gets screwed because, I mean, it was borderline, I get it, but then they have to go to the power play, the wild dude, because the ducks lost that challenge. And then, of course, the guy who he's been talking about, we will be talking about most of the game, is Kevin Fiala. He was basically the standout, uh, in my opinion, for the wild, right? I mean, he was the guy all night that everyone was worried about, and he's able to get one and just rip a perfect shot over Ryan Miller's shoulder. Not much he can do on that. I mean, he changed the angle on the shot and just put it in that perfect spot between the glove and the ear, and yeah. I mean, that's all she wrote there. And all of a sudden, the Wild have a 2-1 to lead. It's the hottest guy in the NHL right now, Kevin Fiala. Is, so uh, I mean, weird that he is yeah. the hottest guy <laughs> in the NHL. I mean, of all the players that are going right now, that's tough. He's a former 11th round pick, so or 11th overall pick. I mean, 11th round. So, what, what draft was that? Yeah, no, he's a, a former former 11th overall pick. So like the talent is is clearly always been there, but he just lately, you know, he's had a good season all year, but he's just lately this last little stretch here when the Wild are fighting for a playoff spot, he's just figured it out, and, and he's just gotten hot. And and I think it's you know it was like five straight multi point games with the goals in all five of those games, and then. You know, I think he's on probably a seven or eight game point streak or close to it right now where he's just on a roll. Maybe he didn't get a point against the Kings the other night, but pretty much every game except that one, he's just been on fire. He's a dangerous guy, and when, when you got a power play, he's probably the guy you should mark. And 
when you look at this goal, he didn't need much time to get that shot off and, and beat Miller with a, a perfect shot over his shoulder. Nothing Ryan Miller can do on that one, and it hurts because it was, yeah. like you said, a, a twofer. You, know, you get the, the call that doesn't go your way, you get the penalty, and, and then obviously they hit in the power play, and that's tough when you're up one nothing, and then within a matter of minutes, you're down 2-1. to one. Well, got to talk about uh, you know the rough stuff that happened in this game. Got to give a shout-out to Getzloff here. That guy's always been tough. He's always been a guy to never back down. He's he's still one of the old school guys. Old school in the new league, I guess you could say. He doesn't wear a visor, refuses to wear a visor. He only wore one, I think, years ago when he got he took a shot to the head and like had fractured sinuses. Like, oh, you need to protect your face for a bit. So he did. But he doesn't like a hit by Jordan Greenway, who is an absolute monster. The guy's like the size of Dustin Bufflin, I feel like. And Getzloff with his dad's strength goes over and tries to fight him. And I was like, Getz, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't think that's a great idea to try to fight Jordan Greenway. But uh, for some reason, they, did you see the fight? Like, he had his he yeah. like, had his jersey, like, twisted up here. And, like, Getz could, just couldn't get his arm free. I, I, I wanted to see what would happen if that didn't go down. Yeah, that's what happens when you fight a guy who's 6'6", 227. Oh, that's weird. I mean, Getzlap's <laughs> a big guy, but I think that's a three-inch... Uh, three inch gap for for Greenway over Getzlaff, and then a reach on top of that, and and that's why Getzlaff couldn't do anything. It's like the reach there of Greenway it's is just massive, huge. and and he's you know he's got a full extension there, just is his, his uh, jersey grab on Getzlaff, where Getzlaff isn't able to get anywhere close to him. Uh, and I guess you know no. if you're a big guy, and I don't think Greenwood is a fighter by any means, just a big guy. I've never really seen him, you know, absolutely pummel a guy like Ryan no. Reeves or Nick Laurier does. But when you're a big guy and you're not maybe sure of yourself in a fight, and and you got that reach, you use it to your advantage, and he does there, and, and gets off really couldn't get free to get any shot off, and you know it didn't really look like Greenway wanted any piece of him. He just kept the reach out, fired a couple yeah. shots, he and didn't just leaned punched. on him. Just leaned on him and, and, deal and with him over. <laughs> but I think I think yeah, and when you realize who you're going against, and, and that trade off is is probably pretty nice for the Wild. There, you know, Greenway goes off for five, Getzlaff goes off for five. Maybe you don't want to take a punch in the face and, and worry about getting yourself hurt. So just lean on him, you know, take him down to the ice and and uh, and take the uh, the trade off there. And and you know, it worked out. It worked out for the Wild in the sense that they got Getzlaff off the ice for five minutes. No, absolutely. Let's uh, give a shout out to Almighty Peppa. He's uh, he's basic, he's subscribed for four months in a row, by the way. So shout out to you. Thanks for the help. Thanks for the support, and thanks for tuning into us on Twitch. So awesome, man! I, I just saw that on our chat feed. Uh, let's get to the goal here. Danton Heinen scores a goal. I mean, I think someone helped him score a goal, but uh, I didn't even realize that happened. It gets tipped by Brodine as he drives to the net. And it goes in, and the broadcast was funny because I don't think anyone saw it. They were just like, oh, I think he meant to do that. And then you watch the replay, you're like, oh, no, he didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it would have been pretty nice if he meant to do it. And, you know, just uh, cuts to the net and against the grain just dinks it short side on, on Devin Dubnik. That would have been nice. But now it's uh, it's Jonas Brodeen who was having an absolute stinker of a game up until oh, that yeah. point. Two penalties, and, and then he ends up poking one into his own net, essentially, off Heinen's stick. 
but good play by Heinen to drive to the net. I've been pretty impressed with just kind of his ability offensively so far. He's got three goals and, and an assist in seven games, I believe, for the Ducks. So it's been uh, been a nice run for him, especially playing on the top line with Milano and uh, and Getzlaff. Like it's uh, Milano started off hot early with two games in, in his first uh, two goals in his first game. Uh, but I think Danton Heinen's been just as good. And then when you look Consistent. at how responsible, yeah, and, and how responsible he's been in his two-way approach, I think you know right now you could argue he's had the more impressive run here and the and the the better impact on, on the way the Ducks have been playing. I agree, man. I think he he's done a great job since he's come to Anaheim. But uh, the was Raquel and Silverberg combined again. Yeah, that was pretty. Um, I hope it continues. I hope it continues too. I mean, you want to see that happen there, but uh, that was one that Dubnik wants back. I think these two goals were the bounces the Ducks should have been able to carry to a win tonight. It just didn't happen, um, which we'll talk about later for sure. But this one finds its way under the pad of Devin Dubnik. He was a little late getting that left leg down. Silverberg with that nice snapshot kept it low, and for whatever reason, Dubnik wasn't able to get down in time. And now all of a sudden, the Ducks take the lead. I think it's that that pump fake. By Silverberg, where you know he, he kind of loaded up on that shot. Yeah, yeah, he thought about trying to fire it off right away, then pumps it back and says, "No, I'm going to fire it again." And he also waits for the defenseman to get into the shooting angle a little bit, where you know Devin Dubnik probably still sees that, but I'm not sure who the defenseman there that gets and closes in uh, on Silverberg. Who is that? Twenty? I can't. I think it's I think it's Jason Spurgeon who closes in on Silverberg, and it creates a little bit of a screen just enough that the release is disguised from Silverberg and we know how powerful of a, a wrist shot and a snapshot he has mm-hmm. and that's all he needs is a little bit of a disguise a little bit of a screen on just the release of the shot and by the time Dubnik sees it it's already passed him and, yep. and it's too late for him and great for Silverberg to actually be shooting the puck again I mean both of his his goals are, are great snapshots which is kind of his patent and his trademark over his career uh, and he's snapped the streak now, and Raquel snapped the streak, and they've both been pretty good over the last three yeah. games here. So it's uh, nice for be nice. Yeah, it'll be nice. See, I was hoping for the hat trick. You know, even though I don't think he's going to hit thirty, I was hoping he'd get the hat trick tonight. Came close on a couple plays, but didn't no. quite get there. Hopefully, he stays on fire, and like you said, finish the season with some confidence going into next. Uh, go to the third period here. Larson gloves down a puck in the neutral zone, loses it to Victor Rask. He walks in. I I had a really tough time with this one. Uh, not on Miller, but on the Ducks defenseman. And this guy is a man on an island, and you can't knock the puck off his stick. Kind of a tough play with the defense there. And I, I mean, I'm, and the broadcast made some comment about how Miller probably wants that one back, or he seemed frustrated. I don't know as much you could do there. Whenever a guy cuts to the middle like that, mm-hmm. it makes it difficult for the goaltender to read the release. Um, because yep. he's going to cut. Is he going to go back against the grain? Is he going to go go try to go top shelf far side? That's a tough play for Ryan Miller. I think it's uh, you know just an unfortunate play by the defense, and it led to the goal there. So the reason that that point in the ice, the middle part of the slot, is the the most prime goal scoring yes. uh, area in the entire NHL when you look at where most of the goals <laughs> come from. Uh, so it's it's hard for any goaltender to make a save there, especially when you know Rask cuts in. He's got a defenseman still in front of him. Whoever was paired with Larson tonight, I think it was Delzato, who uh, is still in the 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 eye lane of uh, of Ryan Miller on that play. So it's tough mm. to make that, uh, that that save on that one. I can't blame him, but he, it, it's all down to Larson here. Like he gloves the puck down. He's got enough time to even just send it back down in behind his own net where 
you know, Delzato should be there to make the play. Like it's a two on one at that sense or a one on two for, for Victor Rask when he wins the puck. And not only do you lose the puck, you turn it over, you get out muscled and you let the guy cut right into the middle of, of the slot. Like that's two bad plays by Jakob Larson. And, and I was really liking his game up until this game. And I think he struggled for most of the game uh, against the wild tonight. And, and I was impressed with the way he kind of upped his game since the trade deadline. So hopefully this is just an outlier of a game for him and, and he gets back to it. But yeah, a, a tough play for him. Uh, and when you look at how the other two goals that the Wild already had tonight ended up occurring because of that goaltender interference play, it's another yeah. tough one to swallow when you think the Ducks have really played a good game here and you know, two goals were due to a goaltender interference play and then this one's due to a bad turnover by Jakob Larson. You really felt like they deserved a bit better in that game. Yeah, and you know, we're going to talk about this too. Miller comes up with a couple of outstanding saves on Parise, Koivu, and Donato in a scramble. Uh, Parise had a partial breakaway, and then the next one was just kind of a couple of miscues by the Ducks. And his scramble played by Miller, it comes up big on a couple of uh, bounces there. But then we get the weird goal. This one, I don't know if Juice was like tipping the puck to the center. He's too responsible for that. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. At least from the play I saw, I, I didn't really think he was trying to chip that puck. To the center of the ice, but either way, it does. Hops over Hawk and Paw stick because why the hell not? Yeah, Bounces in this course. game for both teams have just been garbage to this point. Uh, and it goes right to Galchenyuk, of course, who's able to beat Miller. I mean, from the place we just talked about, you know, middle of the slot, what are you going to do? And all of a sudden, now um, the Wild take the lead. Hockenpah does nothing wrong on this play, does everything right. Yeah. He's got a stick on the ice, ready to intercept the puck. And the just it's on the ice, and then the moment it's about to hit his stick, it, it just knuckle pucks, takes a bounce over his mm-hmm. stick, and then lands flat for Galchenyuk. So he doesn't even have to juggle it. And then he takes a couple seconds and just finds the spot on Ryan Miller and beats him from the same spot almost that Victor Rask beat him from. It, it's it's a tough one. You know, you can't blame Miller on this one. You really can't blame Yanni Hackenpah. It's just a weird bounce. I think it, it gets fired into the corner. I think it just bounces off Christian Juice. And and just fires like it it beelines off the boards or off right juice to right to the middle like <laughs> it was a hard pass from the from the boards or off juice that goes right to Galchenyuk so that's a tough one you, you really can't do much about that it's like when you you dump it in off the boards it hits the stanchion or something and comes out to the slot it's 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 one of those types of plays that you know it, it's just kind of bad luck the way everything went on that one it's tough for the Ducks when. They played such a good game, and, and you know, three plays, three bad plays in this game led to four goals for the Wild. Like, it, it's a tough one. And, you know, kudos to them for, for fighting back in this one and not getting down on themselves. How often has this team had bad luck this year and just folded? So I, I, I like the fight back for them to end up tying the game and taking it to overtime. Let's talk about that play. That, that was tic-tac-toe magic with the empty net. Miller gets yep. pulled. Just a ridiculous passing play. Henrique to Silverberg. And then you watch that instant replay where Silverberg put that pass right between the feet of the defenseman over to Juice, who's coming in off the point. He was he was pinching in a little pretty deep trying to get that extra play. And he was able to do it and take care of that pass right by Dubnik. And all of a sudden, we have a tie game. 4-4. Pretty play. Yeah, four guys involved. Now, I guess all five. Del Zotto originally keeps it in, uh, fires it to Henrique, who gets it over to Raquel. And, and Raquel... Wires it down to, to Silverberg, who fires a pass between the legs over to Christian Juice, and his one-timer beats uh, Devin Dubnik. Just a, a beautiful, drawn-up play, I guess you could call it, where it looked like the Ducks were going to lose it a couple times there. 
Like they battled for some pucks, won some puck battles to actually get the puck over to Ricard Raquel. And both Raquel and Silverberg had to make quick decisions to get their passes off and end up leading to the goal. And, and who else but uh, but Christian Juice, the way he's been playing, gets his first as a duck. I've been overwhelmingly impressed with the play of Christian Juice so far, so much yes. so that I would say he might have been so far the most impressive acquisition despite, you know, Milano and Hyden, I think, have been really good. But the way Christian Juice has kind of taken over number one defensive duties with Lindholm and and Fowler and Manson and Goodbranson out, like it's been his blue line and he's taking control of it. And, and he's played well in pretty much like every game except one. He's been the Ducks' best defenseman on the night. That's That was a tough shot, too. Like uh, when you're on your strong side like that, and you have to accept the pass on your forehand, mm-hmm. and to have the ability to keep it with that short little snapshot, and to put it short side is a tough play. That was a yeah, really hard really pass good move too. by Juice. Yeah, was a, that was a strike from Jacob Silverberg. Great play there. Then we go to overtime, Ed, and I just got frustrated. I was yelling at my TV a little bit watching this. Um, Ducks seemed to have possession forever, but it was like weird perimeter possession they didn't really get anything in tight on dubnik that was ultra dangerous um i mean at least unless you saw something i didn't it, it was a lot of possession but not a lot of okay cool yeah we not a lot in. of chances yeah for whatever reason they're just not good with with the three on three most nights i, I don't know what it is but ducks up taking a penalty kevin viola i don't blame the guy for dropping you know ducks get their bounces we saw McDavid take a penalty in overtime against uh, against the Ducks, and the Ducks capitalized. And then you look at this, and I felt like Fiala, uh, uh, maybe, maybe embellish a little. But uh, Manson gets the tripping call. And then, of course, <laughs> who else but the guy who's on fire in the NHL, Fiala, with just a perfect, perfect wrist shot, pulls it into the wheelhouse, rips it over Miller, and that's all she wrote, man. Ducks lose 5-4. I needed this win. I knew this went bad. Fantasy <laughs> hockey, man. It it killed me tonight. Devin Dubnik's win essentially just collapsed my hopes of getting first place. Devin, Devin Dubnik sing, and the Ducks single-handedly lost me $80 tonight in payouts because of what – well, I could, it's them or I could blame Kevin LeBanc for getting a secondary power play assist with 44 seconds to go in a loss to the uh, to the Colorado Avalanche. One of those two, I, I'd like to I'd like to say I can blame it on Devin Dubnik and the Ducks not being able to score in overtime. But oh, <laughs> 80 American dollars is a lot for you Canadians. That's very true. I know. That's like I know. 380 it's, bucks. It's, yeah, That's it's a lot of money. It's brutal. But, it's a down payment uh, on a house. It's probably hundreds of thousands of dollars you lost out. Oh yeah, you never know. I mean, right now it could be, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, who else know. but Kevin Fiala, right? The way he's been playing. Same shot, same him. place. Of course it's him. He's He's got the confidence now, and, and Ryan Miller probably knew where he was going to shoot it, but you, you're not making that safe. Like he, he, You know where he's going to go. He went there already on you, uh, and he's just got the ability and the skill and the confidence right now to just beat you there again. So I'm uh, I'm not surprised he was the guy that, that ended it. The moment Kunin got it over to Fiala, you kind of just felt like it was over the way Fiala's been playing, and 
and he's the guy that seals the deal. But I give the Ducks credit for fighting back, grinding it out, and getting a point uh, against a wild team who was desperate for two points in this game to to kind of keep their playoff hopes alive. It's a, it's a fight we really haven't seen from the Ducks pretty much all year. So it is nice to, to see that here. I know it means nothing in the long run. Or, hey, man, the or boys the, don't want to lose, Ed. You don't yeah. like losing. Why would you suit up to lose? Right? I just... Yeah. No, and, and they've really had that fight, I think, since the trade deadline when you brought some new guys in here, uh, and they want to prove themselves. I think with some of the guys out from injury, there's a lot of players up that want to prove themselves. you still got Steele and Jones and Sherwood up here who are, are trying to you know prove that they belong on this team going into next year. There really ain't, aren't any guaranteed positions because then Bob Murray's also lit a fire under guys like Josh Manson and Ricard Raquel and Jakob Silverberg, where he's kind of calling out that 25 to 29 group. I mean, the only guy who's kind of safe from criticism on this roster is Ryan Getzlaff for good reason. Like he's the only guy that, uh, that isn't under fire here. And I mean, maybe Ryan Miller and, and John Gibson, now, those are really the only three guys not under fire in some way or, or needing to prove themselves in some way this year. Or Lindholm. I don't think he's under fire either. He, he was mentioned as part of the core with, with uh, Bobby. Bargain Bobby's breakfast bonanza that I went to yesterday. That's what I'm gonna I heard it. good things. I heard it good was, things. We'll good get things. to that. Very good things. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, we have so to get to it very soon because people in the yes. chat are already pissing me off. Well, and I, we I will. love them for supporting me, but like, why would they – and supporting you and Jay, they they they're here they're here watching the show and listening. But why would they think that Bob Murray doesn't like Trevor Zegers? Uh, where does he say that? And, uh, in the chat, they said that Bobby's not high on Zegers. High hopes for Zegers. I don't think so. I have I a think hard time that, with that. From everything we've heard from Bob Murray, he said he was uh, ecstatic that Trevor Zegers was a guy that was available to them at the ninth spot. <laughs> I I don't think. Yeah, I don't. I don't see anything saying that he doesn't have high hopes for them. If he's saying he doesn't want him to play this year, I think it probably has something to do with burning the entry level contract, and maybe they them just thinking he's not physically ready to jump right into the NHL. You know, he's he's I think five eleven or six foot and a hundred and like sixty seven pounds. Ooh, yeah, he's a, he's a so boy. Yeah. he's a, a Elias Pettersson type guy in, in terms of his size. I and, mean. And, the weight he has on it, but look at Pedersen. I mean, you know, proving that you don't have to be the bulkiest of guys to to have success in the NHL, and and the play and skill level Trevor Zegers has will trump his size throughout the entirety of his career. So I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him step in and and have success right off the bat. But I, I can see some concern in that if if you're Bob Murray and I saying mean, I don't want to burn the entry level, I don't want him to get come in and get bullied right off the bat. Part of it too is uh, there was something about him. Being able to go play for the goals for the playoffs, right? They're talking about that. That could happen. Um, mm-hmm. They're not sure where they want him at. Like he wants to turn pro, get a couple of games up here in the end of the season. But I think that's a fair assessment from Bob Murray. I mean, they were very disappointed, and they've talked about how they rushed Cam Fowler. They thought it was unfair to Fowler push his development, rush his development. Not that he's not a good player, um, but they just wonder if they had done anything to hurt his development by putting him right into the Ducks lineup, right? Like, he comes in and doesn't play many games. Um, AH, I don't know if he did at all. Uh, I Did he? I have to go back and look at that draft here and look at the roster, but I know that they talked about how they felt like they rushed him. Um, and I'm sure they feel that way about a lot of their players. They have to be very careful with this second tier that's coming up. They want to make sure it's successful. You know, they've got to make sure that these guys that they're bringing in as forwards that are going to be potent that they are these guys who are potent. 
and that they don't rush the development and end up not getting what they need. Yeah, I could, you kind of get that feeling that maybe they felt like they rushed Troy Terry a bit. The fact that they signed him out of Denver, uh, they you know, kind of burned a year on his ELC. They brought him over, played a couple games. I think he played one game for the Ducks uh, the, mm-hmm. to end that year, didn't play in playoffs for them. And I remember doing the podcast at that point. We all thought he probably should have played in, in that Shark series where they got absolutely destroyed and swept uh, for four games to nothing. Maybe they see that and, and similarity in, in size and maybe not ability. I think Trevor Zegers is a more talented player coming out of college than Troy Terry was at that point. But just you know, size, stature, uh, you know, physical presence coming into the league. Maybe they rushed him a little bit too early for that, and, and maybe they're you know suffering the consequences of that now. I, I don't know if I think that's true or not, but I could see maybe the concern there in rushing Trevor Zegris into the NHL. By all accounts, it seems like he wants to go pro. I remember when we interviewed him way back at the start of the season, he said, you know, we'll see how things go this year, but that's the goal is to go pro as soon as yep. possible. It's It still seems like by, you know, his comments from his agent, uh, from Bob Murray, from Trevor Zegris, that that's the name for them, that he's going to go pro at the end of this year and then whether he plays games for the ducks or plays games for San Diego, I think is up to Trevor Zegris and Bob Murray and Dallas Akins on, on whether to decide that's, you know, what's best for him uh, in, in the next steps of his development here. You want to get into this Bobby uh, bargain breakfast bonanza with burritos, or do you want to start with other news first? Um, let's just quickly, I know we mentioned the injuries a bit. Uh, Josh Manson came back today uh, Eric Goodbranson is apparently not too far behind. He could be here for Tuesday. I think Tuesday's the next Ducks game. So he could hear here for Tuesday. Uh, Camp Rattler. Yeah, that might be the best game to bring him back in, honestly. <laughs> you know, not not too tough of an effort for him to get back into. Uh, Camp Fowler might return this week. Depends on how he progresses. Probably end of week, maybe early the following week that we see Camp Fowler. And then, like you mentioned earlier, um, Hampus potentially done for the year. He, obviously, he wants to play and he'll want to come back, but I can't see them rushing him back if he's Thanks, not 100 percent ready. Saddle. Yeah, it's multiple upper body injuries. You know, the only thing that's been confirmed by the athletic is he has a sore back, but we know it has to be some. <laughs> Why are they yeah. hiding this? Like it's we clear, know it has to be some shoulder, shoulder and like broken clavicle, broken multiple. Like, yeah, multiple seems like it. It's more than two. So it's not just the sore back. It's clearly a, probably a couple shoulder issues, potentially something else, maybe you know, collarbone or neck. Didn't or he have something a torn like labrum not too long ago, a couple of years ago? Uh, I want to say yeah, I think did. so. I know Sammy bought it. I think, yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I, I thought the same season it was Sammy and Lindy had torn labrums. Yeah, I think it was both of them. But anyway, progress on Good Branson, progress on on Cam Fowler. Uh, Lindholm, unfortunately, maybe doesn't come back this year. I'm not too concerned. I think you know his health comes first, and make sure he's 100 percent ready to go next year, and you don't aggravate anything to to finish the year this year, especially the way Juice is playing. Yeah, I think I would rather see Christian Juice get more minutes and and kind of prove himself for the rest of the year than to rush Lindholm back and and potentially make that injury any worse. No, I agree. I I hope they just rest him the rest of the year. Just yeah, just sit him. Just sit him. He's my favorite duck, but just sit him. He needs he needs to be come back for next year healthy. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, Bobby's Bobby time. Stuff. Bobby time. It was second outside. year in a row we had somebody there. It was outside this time. Uh, I know. I saw that. It was at uh, the you know the Ducks' new facility in Irvine, 
and very nice. I was very like, why are we outside type deal? Because there was a lot of rain clouds, but good call <laughs> by the ducks there to put it outside. It was it ended up being it a nice, nice day. Yeah, it they did, did uh, nice breakfast event. burritos. Um, what was it last year? Pancakes? Yeah, it was pancakes and bacon and fruit and coffee. Uh, this Which year, one was better? <sighs> Dude. Because, like, breakfast burritos is dicey. Like, it's either good or not good. Like, it's going to okay. either be, like, dried out and nasty or let it's going to be... Let me tell you good. the problem with the breakfast burrito part, okay? And maybe I'm picky and maybe I'm an a-hole and people are going to just roll their eyes at this. But when I think breakfast burrito, I think, like, eggs, bacon, cheese, maybe, like, grilled onion, bell pepper. And, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, like, maybe some hash brown, some crispy potato in it. Not a lot, just a little crispy potato in there. Give me that. Maybe you give me some salsa. They literally had two burritos. You either got egg and cheese and tortilla or eggs, mm. bacon, cheese, tortilla. That's all you got. Oh, who chose egg and cheese? Uh, David did, who went with me. Friend oh, of he's show. vegetarian, though, right? Vegetarian, yeah, so he didn't have the bacon part. Um, but egg and cheese, is a that's a tough go, man. Isn't, Even if egg, like, salsa. isn't egg iffy for vegetarians? because it's Or is that vegans? That's vegan. That's vegan. Yeah, I think so. I'm not too sure on that. Maybe someone will confirm. But yeah, I um. Unless you're vegetarian and you have that excuse that Dave has, like, why are you not going for the bacon one? Yeah, dude, it was (laughs) the rinks. That rink there though makes really good food, and I'm not sure if they got it from there. But usually, when I eat lunch or breakfast at the rink when my daughter's playing hockey there, it's really good food. These burritos, man, I hate crapping on free stuff, but like. I don't know, man. They're probably not made by the arena or something they don't <laughs> make often. It wasn't the best showing for a breakfast burrito. Let me let me just put it that way. But they were decent. I'll give them that. Yeah, it's free food, and exactly. like they probably don't really care too much. No, I <laughs> like they're like, like give these savages something to eat, and then a lot that's of it. empty chairs. By the way, at this uh, hot stove thing, a lot of yeah. empty chairs. That well, it's tough that, for the ducks. that type of year, right? Where absolutely not too many people are jumping on board to hear. Bob Murray talk about the way this year's gone. I, I can't see can't see the interest being high. Good on him than, though. Good on him yeah. to, to stand up and say this year sucked and that he should have started this re, retooling rebuild earlier. Um, and real quick, shout out to Patreon member and friend of the show Jason Billings and his wife Shannon for uh, supplying Dave and I tickets to get in, and Jimmy who tried to get his tickets but I had to pretend to be Jimmy to get in, so I was worried about them carding me because I don't look like Jimmy. Yeah, so I ended up getting in with Jason. They, they and just Shannon know instead. Jimmy at the gate. Yeah, like, like, we yeah, know this guy. Yeah. This guy's trying to get Kessler's nude photo signed. We know who he is. <laughs> yeah, we've seen this guy before. He's flagged. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, first one, first topic that I had listed here was kind of you already mentioned it, but he discussed the challenge for the Ducks in the retooling process. Said you know he's been looking forward to this challenge began this year. Should have started one year earlier. Uh, and he admitted uh, waiting a little long to get the process going was probably a bad idea. I, I appreciate the honesty. Uh, like I appreciate yeah. him saying it should have started last year because I think we all felt it should have started last year. Um, and really the only move he made towards that was trading Brandon Montour for first and, and Brendan Gooley. Like that was the only move he really made. And you know you could argue he really didn't make too many more moves to, to really – above that like the Andre Cassie deal is essentially that deal where right. you get a first round pick and a prospect um it, it really isn't much different than the Brandon Montour deal you know Brandon Gooley is probably a higher rated prospect than Axel Anderson at the time 
Um, but you know, maybe not so much anymore because of the struggles Brandon Gooley's had. So, you know, you could argue he's done just as much last year as he has this year, but I appreciate him saying, at least admitting he was wrong and saying that this process process should have started last year uh, and they're finally getting things going. It, it at least shows that he understands he was wrong and that they're moving in the right direction. No, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good answer. Um, I will say that uh, Dave and I and Jason all were wearing Trevor Mighty hats, sat in the front row, and at the end of the planned questions, they were taking questions from people sitting out there. I had my arm raised three different occasions, never got picked. I think it's because who's picking them? Um, some media guy. I don't know who he yeah. is. He, he's he's some yeah. media guy who's there walking around, <laughs> and it was like I was like, really? I'm in the front row, and I didn't put my hand up for the first couple of questions. I waited like an idiot. I guess I should have put my hand up from the beginning. But I think we got blacklisted because of Max Jones because we interviewed him. So they're probably like, we well, that was the San Diego thing. We knew who they are. But it was like, <laughs> they got probably filtered up from there. They're like, all right, these guys are, are getting on us down here in San Diego and getting us pissed off for interviewing Max Jones. And then they, they filtered it up the chain up to Anaheim. And along with, uh, along with Jimmy being flagged and blacklisted for trying to get uh, new photos of Kessler signed. There's uh, there's our logos right beside that saying, do not call on these people. Do you want to know what my question was? I think it would have been a good one for Bobby. What was it? I said, so with um, the cap situation, your retooling process going on with uh, with this summer approaching and you, you know, everyone here is asking about moves to be made. And you want to, you know, expedite the process here to be competitive. You took on four and a half million dollar cap hit with David Backus for the next two seasons, and this summer's the year that Corey Perry's contract goes to six point whatever million dollars. And so you've locked up over ten million players um, that probably aren't going to be helping you, especially Perry. What is your plan to keep this on the same track for the offseason? And I had a shorter yeah. version I don't of the question. But that's what I, I was going to ask him. Like, hey, you kind of you kind of blocked yourself from making moves by locking up ten million dollars. Um, well, what's next? The next step to this, like, you trading up salary here? Like, is that that's what's going on? Because there's really not much coming off the books. No. There, there really isn't anything no. coming off the books. So that was my question to him, but I never got to ask. It's very sad. Very very sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're blacklisted, hundred percent guaranteed. We are blacklisted. <laughs> you guys wore the wrong hats there. Of course, maybe you had to wear. Yeah, maybe maybe we had Blackhawks hat. They would have they would have answered me. Yeah, or or a different uh, a different logo, if you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> so he also talked about how long for the team to turn it around. Apparently, Hayward mentioned that most teams take five years to come out of a rebuild. I don't know where the hell he got that stat from. Um, you, know, you look at some teams that are in their like tenth year of a rebuild and things still aren't going their way. So uh, five years would be nice. If that was the case, the Ducks are heading into year three or maybe even year four of uh, mediocrity, right? So uh, I don't know what he's saying, but apparently Bob Murray does not want it to take that long. He doesn't want to take any shortcuts, though, to put the team in a position where they can compete or where they can't compete for several years in a row, not just one or two seasons. So he wants to kind of get things going, make sure it's only going to take three or four years, which makes me think that. Potentially, guys like Josh Manson, Jakob Silverberger are sticking around. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I don't think they're they're necessarily get traded. Maybe one of them does. You know, if he he's already said he's kind of sick of that leadership group, so you know, maybe it's one of Raquel, Silverberg, Fowler, Manson that he just has enough with and says, "All right, you're out of here." But uh, yeah, it is interesting, and I and I think it's the right move. 
to not try and extend this to a five-year period when you've got Gibson and Lindholm and Fowler. Okay, he can't, or it'll be looked yeah, at as a gigantic failure if you're going yeah. to just burn well, these years off Gibby's contract. It's just yeah. – doesn't make you any sense for several years. You've got to make sure you get this turned around and you're competitive in enough time that, you know, John Gibson and Lindholm and Fowler and potentially Henrik, even Silverberg and, and Manson are all still relatively in their prime or playing at the same level they are now that you can you know supplement that with, uh, you know, hopefully a dynamic player like Trevor Zegris and whoever you get, Hopefully, as a top five pick this year, uh, if it's a goal scorer like Alex Holtz or something like that, that would be nice. Uh, and then, you know, with guys like Benoit, Olivier Gru, and Comtois, Graydon Tracy, uh, you know, Axel Anderson, some of these other guys that you have coming up, you just hope kind of supplement what you already have. I think that's the direction he's trying to take here. I think, you know, he probably is only hoping for or planning on one more year. Uh, of a mediocre team for the Ducks, and I think that would be next year. And then after that, I, I think he's going to take the approach that all right, we got to we got to start competing here. Well, and let's 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 combine a couple of the questions with this because they all kind of make sense. So, uh, the long team, long how long for the team to turn it around? Kind of falls into thoughts on his first year retooling, and it also kind of combines with thoughts on the core players and Ryan Getzloff as captain, right? Like you're talking with his leadership group. Getzloff, Raquel, Silverberg, Fowler, Lindholm, and Gibson. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about Ryan Getzloff saying he's okay with being passed up in this group and would welcome it and just waiting for somebody to take that next step. That's all part of the retooling process, I feel like. It's all part about bringing in the right guys um, or getting more out of the guys you already have. I thought a very curious comment uh, was that he says he likes the way the team is playing five-on-five. How do you feel about that without looking at it from an analytic perspective, just the, the, just the eye test? I mean, we, we talked about it earlier, about how they're getting more chances, just not burying them. But that's a recent trend. Do you feel like that's mm-hmm. something that's sustainable for Anaheim, this good five-on-five play? I was about to say it's, it's a recent trend. So if he's got recency bias, he could say, yeah, I've liked the play, the five-on-play from, five-on-five play from the Ducks so far. But if he's going over a whole season, I don't agree with that at all. I don't think over an entire season their five-on-play, five-on-five play has been great. I think the numbers back that up. And, you know, I would tend to agree the eye test backs that up, especially early on in the season, that their five-on-five play, five play wasn't great. Uh, so I'd have to think it, it's he's kind of leaning to what he's seen lately. And, and making his comments based on that. Um, you know, I can understand wanting to improve the power play. That's a nice thing. Uh, the, the reality of it is you don't have a shooter. And no, no matter who you add, you know, defensemen like Christian Juice or whatever, Heinen, Milano, doesn't matter. That you know, it's not good. Those are technically guys you already have that you yep. throw on the power play to begin with. And it's not going to make things better. The only shooter you have right now really is Adam Henrique. And he's even, he's not even really that great of a shooter. Like he's not a dynamic shooter. When you think you, when you think of Adam Henrique, the first thing you you, you know you, the first thing you don't think of is a shot. It's not like no. you're thinking, oh, Adam Henrique, he's got a ridiculous shot. He's a goal scorer. You're like, guy, oh, he's a good two way guy, yep. and he can put up points. That's what you think of with Adam Henrique. There's really no one on this team, I guess, other than Silverberg. That you know, first thing that comes to mind is their shot. And the problem with Silverberg is just not consistent enough consistent enough to be that guy. So I mean, you know, and Bobby I, if, flat out said, "No one here can shoot a one timer." He said, "I've seen Rax exactly. and Silverberg try it, and they just can't do it either." Yeah, and and they can't. He's not wrong. I, no. I again, I appreciate the honesty there. Like he, he's not wrong. They can't. Nobody on the team can shoot the one timer. I mean, you know, Getzloff probably could, but he doesn't shoot the puck enough. 
and, and his one timer really isn't that accurate. He kind of just puts all his power into it. Um, so you know the Ducks need that guy, and there definitely is a couple players in the draft who could be that guy. And I already mentioned Alex Holtz really fits exactly that type of mold if that's what you're looking for. Uh, if, if you're looking for that dynamic, pure goal scorer who can have the one-timer from the point or from the circle, like he's the guy to go for. The Ducks will be in a position, hopefully, to draft him and pair that up with a potential best playmaker in the league in the future in Trevor Zegers. You've got uh, a nice little mix there going forward uh, of a, you know, a nice duo, potentially one of the better duos in the NHL in the future. But got to get to that point. Before we can even draft him, got to get to the draft. You got to hope he's available for you before you kind of you know bank on that being an, an actual thing that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, the the Ducks five on five play I don't think is sustainable. For, you know, heading into next no, year, they it's... they need to make some changes, and this team isn't uh, deep enough or good enough to be a you know a quality top half of the league five on five team. Well, the thoughts on the de- on the trade deadline too. Murray said he was happy he was able to get a first round pick. Uh, generally speaking, in terms of all the trades he made, Murray felt that, that uh, he had to change the people the team wasn't able to win with. Yeah, that was along the lines of there was room problems. There was issues in the dressing room that they felt they needed to get rid of a few key guys out of that room. And the first thing I thought of was uh, Daniel Sprong mm-hmm. and Nick Ritchie. Like, yeah. immediately those two guys were the first two that came up, 100%. I think that's exactly who he was talking about also. I would be shocked if it was... Andre Kasha, like I just don't buy it. Yeah, because he loves there. Derek Grant. He sure. said he wants to bring Derek Grant back in not so many words this summer. He goes, I heard that he's, I heard that he's available this summer along the lines, right? Like he, yeah. he wants to bring Derek Grant back. That was one of the season ticket holder, you know, random questions was, you know, why'd you trade Derek Grant? He's just, well, <laughs> got to do him a well, solid, like, and I got a piece back in return. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising. I don't think Derek Grant would be a guy who's bad in the locker room, especially if you want to bring him back. So I, I could see definitely Daniel Sprong being that, but he wasn't among the Ducks locker room for, for that long, really. Like, he was in San Diego for most of the time, so maybe it was Nick Ritchie. But again, I don't see Nick Ritchie as being that guy. But, you know, maybe he is. So he's something to do with effort. Like, he wishes that that Nick gave effort on and off, like 100%. Something along those yeah. lines about uh, just not being the guy they wanted him to be. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure that gets on the nerves of, of the leadership group in there and Ryan Getzlaff and Josh Manson, um, you know, Cam Fowler as well, where, you know, they're going out there and working every night and you're watching Nick Ritchie kind of half-ass his effort. Um, you know, I, again, I, I'm not trying to get on Nick Ritchie. I liked him as a player while he was here. He obviously didn't live up to expectations, but he was still a solid player. But, um, you know, if there are underlying issues in the locker room to go along with not meeting expectations, you know, Murray mentioned that a change of scenery was needed for, for Nick Ritchie. And, you know, I kind of agree with that. And, and you look at what Danton Heinen's already brought already. It's essentially what Nick Ritchie was already doing production wise, just a, a better package and some more work effort. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, he, he was also happy for Rick or for Rick, for Nick. He wanted to be successful in Boston and feels like he fits in there. And he, you know, that's some solid stuff to say from Bob Murray because I, I, I think they were kind of done with him at that point. Um, yeah. Let's move on here to how the, is the relationship with Dallas Akins. Uh, do you want to cover that one, though? I feel like, like The only thing I thought was interesting from that is he was like he feels like he plays Getzloff too much. <laughs> yeah, but you kind of have to. Just, <laughs> he's like, you can't play him too much. He is, if you play him too much, he ends up standing around on the ice and Ryan Getzloff's not good when he's standing around. So yeah, I, 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 I see that. 
I can see that, but you kind of have to at this point. Like Sam Steele just hasn't been great offensively. It hasn't been able to carry that line uh, with Jones and Sherwood. They've played pretty good, but I guess left has really been the workhorse for this team. And you could argue maybe he shouldn't be, shouldn't have to be, but he has been. And that's been the reality this year. And when you're trying to still win games here, you know, you're going to roll Ryan Getzlaff out there more than you'd probably like. And, and that's just the case. He's never a guy that's going to quit when he's out there or, or give half an effort. So he, he is that guy that in a lot of situations you're like, eh, we got to throw you over the boards again. Like you're just the guy that we need out there yeah. in this situation. And then obviously power play comes into play there. And uh, the last couple minutes of a tight game, he's out in the ice. You know, whether they're winning or losing, he's the guy that's out on the ice no matter what. So it is uh, it, it's kind of one of those things where no matter what you're going to do, especially right now, Getzlaff's going to be – out there for anywhere from 18 to 20 minutes a night. So um, where, where do you want to jump in now? Uh, we, we mentioned Trevor Zegras a bit, so I wanted to kind of cover this um, because Murray had said it kind of comes down to what's best for his development. Yep. You mentioned playoff uh, hockey in the AHL is something he thinks is critical. We've seen that with Max Jones in the past when his season ended with London. They sent Jones down to the playoffs for San Diego. They did that with Terry when they signed him from Denver. They played him one game in the NHL and sent him down to San Diego for the playoffs. So it's a thing that can happen, clearly. The Ducks have done it in the past. So if Trevor Zegers comes over, I think they will give him at least a game or two in the NHL. Um, now, this obviously all depends on how far his season uh, goes with Boston University. Yeah, he thinks he and Brady and Tracy are both going to be out of the playoffs pretty quick. Yeah, I don't see Victoria going far in the WHL. So Braden Tracy, the, the the difference is, I maybe Braden Tracy can come into the NHL. I'm not. He has to go back to I junior, think, though, doesn't he? He has to go. To, he has out junior eligibility next year. So I actually don't think Tracy can play in the NHL. He can play with the goals. He can go to the goals for the rest of the year because that's an okay thing because the season's over. I don't think he can come into the NHL, though. I don't think he's allowed. Um, so Tracy would be wanting to be straight San Diego. Zegers, because of the college situation, just like Quinn Hughes and, and Troy Terry, could play games for the Ducks and then go down to San Diego after. So yep. I think, I think you know, um, Trevor Zegers and, and Boston University, March 13th to 15th, they have the quarterfinals of Hockey East. They're the sixth seed. They play UMass Lowe's, the three seed. It's a three-game pl- uh, three series that runs over those three days. So his playoffs could be over as early as March 14th or March 15th, and uh, that would be the end of his season. And then from anywhere after that, the Ducks could sign him to an entry-level contract and bring him over. And from what we've heard from, from pretty much most of the sources here is that he wants to go pro. But these things take time. I mean, oh. Cole Caulfield and, uh, and Alex Turcott, their seasons ended a couple days ago with Wisconsin. And now everybody's waiting to see if the Kings are going to sign Turcotte to an ELC and if the the Canadians are going to sign Cole Caulfield to an entry-level contract. And we, you know, it's been a couple of days and we haven't heard anything. So uh-huh. you know, some, sometimes, yeah, sometimes these things move fast. Sometimes they don't. It's a big decision for these players. And, you know, it completely ends their college career. The moment they sign that entry-level contract, they can't go back to college. They're not amateurs anymore. They're pros now. Kinda so it, money, it is a big... <laughs> Yeah, but it's a big decision, right? Like, you know, you've, you've made relationships there. You've you've been kind of part of that culture for an entire year. Uh, your season ends that early. You kind of feel like, you know, come back next year. Maybe we can win it all. And, and it, it's a, you know, what's best for my development? You hear it from your agent, from your coach, from, you know, the Ducks staff. They, you know, everybody has their input on what's best 
for your development. But I, I think in the end, it comes down to Trevor Zegras and what he wants to do. No, yeah, it's gonna. I mean, that's clearly what it's gonna be. But it's gonna be Bobby and his team deciding where he goes, though. That's the thing. Um, where do you want to hop next on these? We got a few left before we wrap. Um. Yeah, like we mentioned the draft target, so I'm not going to get back into that. That Murray's was a funny question, too, by the fan who asked that. I'm like, do you think Bobby's going to come out and say who he wants? Like, come on. No, but I, I do appreciate the answer. Yeah, and, he wants a and shooter. And coming out and saying he wants and a shooter. And a defenseman. Yeah, and, and I think the defenseman's coming later. I think when you look at the shooters in the top half of the draft, I think the, you know the reason this answer appeals to me more is it gives me a little bit of insight into what Bob Murray's strategy is, and I think he's always going to take the best player available. He said there's but the two way, defensemen between 2 and 10 that are offensive-minded, and one of the guys has got a cannon, and he wants him. Whew, two defensemen. Okay, Jamie Drysdale, <laughs> I know, is definitely one of those guys he's talking about. I'm not sure maybe who the other guy is. There's a few defensemen who are kind of sneaking up in the rankings uh but if i was bob murray i'm not taking a defenseman with that first pick i'm taking it with the second pick the boston pick go for it take a defenseman with that pick there'll be a bunch of guys available there that are are good solid choices and i trust the duck scouting staff to to pick a defenseman there that at least will make the nhl maybe it will be another two-way guy and you know they don't really do too well drafting offensive defensemen but, uh, man, with that first pick and, and the shooters that are going to be available anywhere from from 1 to 10, presumably the Ducks will draft anywhere between 1 to 10. Um, you know, you've got Holtz. You've got Perfetti. You've got Stutzel. If you get number one, obviously you're taking Lafreniere. Like there, are, there are so many options uh, of guys who would normally be top five picks in other drafts that are available in this top 10 this year that you've got to go with the forward. You've got to go with the shooter if you can get it. You know, the Ducks don't have that more than anything. You know, you've got defensemen. You know, you, you don't need to go out, I don't think, and get a Drysdale player. And he would be great, and obviously he'd fit into the Ducks system, would be that offensive right-handed defenseman. Yeah, but, but they don't he, have a shooter, and that's that's something he made mention. He said Zagris is a pass-first guy, and he goes, I think yeah. I've seen a lot of these guys come to Anaheim, and i got to talk to to Martin Madden about, hey, we got to start bringing in like the pure shooter yeah. here. Yeah, you need one. And, and you know, Braden Tracy was a bit of a step forward, but I don't think he's a pure a pure shooter by any means when you look at elite talents in this league. And, you know, the, their prospects coming up, Comtois, I think, is a good player. I don't think he's a pure shooter. He's got a good shot. Um, and then Benoit Olivier-Grew is more of a, a two-way defensive forward. So you need to get a player like an Alex Holtz or Kurt Cole Perfetti or Tim Stutzel or something, some elite-level shooter that you can pair with like I said before, potentially the best playmaking prospect from that draft. Like, look at the damage that Trevor Zegers did with a player like Cole Caulfield, yeah. who was a pure shooter, you need a, a pure shooter by any by any means. And, and all the best teams have that guy. Like, you got to yeah. have that guy. You have to. You, you need a guy who is just, when he's on the ice, any, you know, no matter who you're playing, he is one of the top two shooters or goal scorers on the ice at any time. I think you need one of those guys, or at least a guy who has a great shot. Maybe he's not a you know, 30-goal scorer every year, but you need a couple of those players who just are your go-to guys to score goals. You need it. The Ducks don't have one right now. Ricardo Raquel used to be that guy, but yeah. he isn't that guy anymore. Uh, and with all the potential to take one of those guys in the top 10 and the amount of them available, this opportunity doesn't come that often, and the Ducks will be able to get a good player somewhere hopefully in the top five and have a better chance at taking one of these guys. But there's so many of them within the top eight that no matter what, I think you're getting a very good player. 
Um, and, and somebody's going to take a defenseman between one and eight. You just know somebody's yeah. going to prioritize a defenseman, which pushes one of these shooters down. And I, and I don't think outside of Drysdale, you take a defenseman over, you know, one you know, Holtz or Perfetti or you know some of the other guys I mentioned. Not this hope for the best for the Ducks. Um, let's let's get one more of these in here and then get to uh, the fan question and call it a night. Yeah, uh, we'll skip the Comtois stuff. He just mentioned that we talked about him Comtois, in the last show too. Yeah, he's he's physical. He's sent down to to kind of just retrain that a bit and develop him, himself a bit more. And I think that's worked out. Uh, the, these two questions next can kind of go hand in hand. He was asked, "What does he plan for free agency coming up, and his plans for the Seattle expansion draft?" So on free agency, no surprise here. He has a list of players he's going to look at. You can. Bet your ass that Darren Grant's on that list. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't want to try to bring in any aging players, sign anybody to a long contract, do anything drastic, you know, make a big splash in free agency. No. It's going to be depth signings and, and role players and bottom six guys for Bob Murray in free agency. You know, I, I can't uh, I can't see anything big and, and to go him. along with that. Yeah, and, and to go along with that, that also impacts Seattle expansion draft. Like, you don't want to bring in a big contract and, you know, sign a guy to six or seven years and then – you either risk losing him or have to give him a no trade clause and have to protect him and risk losing one of your younger assets. Like that makes no sense. And Mm -hmm. he said he, he kind of admitted he got stuck in a bad decision last, last time, which was clear. You lost, you know, Shea Theodore for nothing. Um, you know, for cap yeah, relief. Yeah, and they brought up that about how, like, the, all the GMs didn't really know the rules. Bettman did give a lot, a lot of time to figure things yeah, out. Come on. You didn't handle the Kevin BX situation <laughs> no. well. You didn't handle the build-up to that well. Um, and that ultimately got you in a bad spot. But he said they're in a good spot right now, right now, which I do believe they are. I think they're in a lot better spot now to handle the expansion draft than they were yeah, before. Yeah, and, and the Sam Willies also said that they're willing to spend to the cap if when this team is competitive to go out and get the pieces that are needed. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, in a couple of years from now, when hopefully Trevor Zegras is here full-time and, and you get the shooter in this year's draft, if you still need, you know, that complimentary piece, another top-six winger, or a, another right shot defenseman. Hopefully, at that point, you can head into free agency and use some of that cap space to go out and get that player, which I think the Ducks hopefully will do in the future. Whether that's Bob Murray behind, you know, yeah. in the box or not, we'll have to see because his contract expires after the Seattle expansion draft. So we'll see if it, if it's him or not. But there's a lot of a lot of prep that still has to go into it to to get everything set up for that uh, that Seattle expansion draft. Well, let's get to that uh, fan question from Garrett. He says, if the Ducks had a power play ranked in, let's say, the top half of the league, would they be a playoff team? Interesting question. Thanks for the question, too. It's a good one. Yeah, thanks for the question, Garrett. Um, I don't think so. Uh, it's, a, like, it's a long gap. I know the playoff situation right now is kind of a mess in, in the West, but you know, a playoff team right now is 77, 76 points. It's 11 more than the Ducks have. So you're basically saying that they could get five or six more wins if they had a you know a fifteen top fifteen power play in the league. Um, I, I don't see you know them jumping from dead last to top fifteen uh, equals fifteen or equals five or six wins. No, you could make the argument for sure. I just I just don't see it. Uh, and, and and again, like it's not like this team I think has the talent to be a top half power play or a top half power play team. Like if you added a shooter to this team that could get you to a, a top 15 power play, 
then of course that shooter is also going to have an effect on your team outside Case the power point, play, and then the maybe New Jersey you're Devils are fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and the New Jersey, if you take Kyle Palmieri, let's say, put him on the Ducks. Well, they're not Kyle Palmieri. I made that Kyle mistake. Palmieri's a shooter. I'm sure he probably is up there for twenty second. I was wrong. <laughs> oh, but whatever. Like we use them as an example. Like take Kyle Palmieri. A 25 to 30 goal scorer power play threat off the shot, right? Put him on the Ducks power play. I think he makes the Ducks power play better. Maybe not top 15, but he also has the an effect on your team outside the power play. So if, if you're saying, you know, if, if the Ducks have a top 15 power play, will they be a, would they be a better team? Would they be a playoff team? Yes, because whatever player is making their their power play a top 15 power play is also having an effect on this team at five on five as well. So the only way they get to that point is by having that other player who is likely a top six winger who can score that would get to get them to that point. So and know, that's a tough one the... too, because Colorado's 20th and mm-hmm. they're a scary offensive team. Right. And you would think that, and better. that has a lot to do with, you know, Miko Ronton has been hurt Kale for McCarr. so long. Landis yeah. Cog was up for a while. Kale McCarr has been out. Kadri has been out. Yeah, Ducks have so. had their injuries too, though. So yeah. eh, it just happens. Yeah. It's the way it goes. Yeah. Minnesota's it, it, 14th in sure. the power play. It just, it's random. How that works? I don't think that's a guaranteed playoff spot either. No, it, it, and like you said, it, it is. It's a systems based thing, and it's a personnel thing, and both have to click. You know, you could have again, you could have McKinnon, Ranton, and Kadri McCarr, and your power play is barely a top fifteen power play, right? Like it's just the or you think you said they were twentieth, so it's 20th. outside yep. the top fifteen, uh, and then you're you know you got a team who's only two spots lower than you, but a, a fair amount away from you in points and the devils with the 22nd ranked power play but maybe you know maybe their system just works better for the players they have yeah the devils are by no means uh, have anywhere close to the offensive talent that the the avalanche have but for some reason their power play is close to being just as good like it, it is kind of a crapshoot when it comes to power play you know sucks the ducks have the dead last power play in the league they uh, also by no means. they also have the second to last the second to last amount of power plays given 177 only the islanders have less power plays than the ducks i wonder what the uh the islanders power play is ranked then uh islanders power play is ranked 23rd yeah yep so yeah it it, it, everything kind of goes into it um to to get back to his question no i don't think the ducks are a playoff team with a top 15 power play um it would have to come with a you know added personnel. I don't think they do it with this group. I think it comes with adding a in a top six winger who can score that affects your team outside the power play as well. Hundred percent. All right, man. Do you got anything else for the night? Are we calling it a show? And we'll see everybody here on Wednesday. Yep, that's it. We're calling it a show. Uh, we've got Ottawa on Tuesday in the remake game against the Blues on Wednesday. Obviously, the the situation that happened with Jay Bowmeister. Oh, yeah. Uh, that game ended up getting postponed and rescheduled, so it turns into a makeshift doubleheader, makeshift back-to-back game for the Ducks, which uh, it, I guess is nice for us because we'll have two games to talk about. Hopefully, oh, yeah. some, you know, a, a complete opposite end of the spectrum. You look at playing Ottawa, who is in the bottom three of the league, and then playing St. Louis the next night, who's a top three team in the league, and you're playing them on the back-to-back. You'd almost rather be playing Ottawa on the second game of the back-to-back, and that game is going to mean a lot to the St. Louis Blues to try and win that game for, for Jay Bowmeister after what happened. So it uh, it will be an interesting stretch here to see. And in the, in the sense, you know, it's, it's kind of cliche. You know, no game is an easy game. 
the Sens play a hard game, and they've they've got some depth throughout the lineup that can hurt you. Um, so it's it's going to be a, a tough couple games, I think, for the Ducks. And you know, as long as they're as exciting as they were tonight, uh, I'm not going to be too upset by by the outcome. I just want to see a good game uh, by them. I want to see an exciting game, uh, just a hard effort from them. Yeah, that's. I mean, I really hope it is a tough, uh, you know, a, a tough home stand for these teams to be coming into. But it is weird to be home on back-to-backs. It doesn't happen often. Obviously, it was for extenuating circumstances for Jay Bomeister. So we'll see how the Ducks play. But that's it for us tonight. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, whether it was live or you download this the next day. We appreciate all the support, and we'll see you guys on Wednesday. See you guys. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.